Hello and welcome. Legally Brief presents the Child Athlete Abuse Podcast. I'm your host, Judy Saunders. I'm a lawyer, mother, and survivor. I work with competitive youth athletes, survivors of abuse, and their families who are dealing with abusive authority figures. This podcast is for anyone who is fed up, dealing with fear, and searching for answers. I really hope that you enjoy the contents of each episode, but remember, it is never a substitute for speaking directly with an attorney who knows and understands your unique circumstances. If you're looking for past episodes, head on over to my website, jsaunderslawfirm.com. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for the newsletter. And one more thing, don't forget to rate and review the show and leave a comment. I'm so glad you're here. Let's get into the show. On Wednesday, September 15, 2021, Simone Biles, Allie Reisman, Michaela Maroney, and Maggie Nicholas, four elite gymnasts, United States Olympic athletes, came before the U.S. Congress seeking answers. What we saw was proof of three institutions that failed, three systems that did not act, even though they are charged and tasked with the responsibility to protect. The three systems that I've identified that have failed involve the sports industry, and in this case, the face of the sports industry is worn by United States Gymnastics, which is comprised of professional coaches, parents, elite athletes, medical professionals. The second institution, the United States Center for Safe Sport, incidentally created by lawmakers and some of the members that actually sat in the hearing on September 15th, who created an agency for the purpose of protecting against the very allegations that these young women spoke about. The United States Center for Safe Sport is supposed to protect, act, and investigate allegations of sexual, physical, or psychological abuse of athletes. And again, that institution failed. The third institution that did not act appropriately, and the focus of the judicial hearings was the FBI. This episode will specifically focus on the evidence and the testimony that showed how the FBI, as an institution, failed to protect children fail to protect women. In our country, historically, the laws that have been written or failed to be written have fallen short over and over again. It's exasperating and frustrating to know that in so many different ways, you can report abuse, you can talk about abuse, you can even go through the correct channels as these young ladies did and still fall short of your complaint being heard, being acted upon, and others Maybe the abuse already happened, as these athletes said, that happened to them. But because of failures in the FBI, failures in a system, other children were not protected. Domestic violence laws in our country were slow to be formed. And when they were formed, when they were legislated, codified, and put into laws, they weren't enforced. All around the country, you've heard stories, and I personally have seen court cases, where laws that were intended to protect individuals who have suffered abuse, either a victim reporting abuse, their allegations are not taken seriously, 
by law enforcement, or to be fair, law enforcement are unindated and not trained to handle. So you have laws, you have an intent and a purpose, but you have no enforcement and no way to implement. And therefore, there's a failure. There's a failure to protect the victim. Historically, we've had rape laws and laws to protect children, individuals from sexual abuse, from molestation for generations, for literally thousands of years. Children and women, other vulnerable individuals have been without legislation. It wasn't until the 1960s, mid-1970s, that we even had a recognition of laws to protect individuals that came forward complaining of rape and molestation. Many times the courts would allow evidence in that to directly refute and combat a person, a woman who says that she was raped. They would allow, courts would allow evidence to come in about sexual history to show that and to discredit the woman and to show that, in fact, the rape that happened to her could have been her fault. Or to put it very crudely, she could have asked for it. So we're talking about only until recently have we even had legislation that victims could fall back on and look for some way to use to protect themselves when they did speak out. Still to this day, the National Center for Rape and Abuse, commonly referred to as RAIN, talks about the majority of rape, sex abuse, sexual assaults are not even reported because survivors feel that law enforcement will either not take their complaint seriously or that it won't be prosecuted. So at the very base If we get down to the bottom floor, we have a shaky foundation on which we've built a structure, an institution, and systems. So baked right in to agencies and institutions that are meant to protect women and children, other vulnerable populations, they're built on shaky ideas, mindsets, and then they're staffed by one type of individual. There's a lack of diversity in not only in just gender, there's a lack of diversity in these institutions, running these institutions of professionals who have empathy, training, understanding. How do we know this? Allie Reisman, and I'm going to summarize much of their testimony. So collectively, Allie Reisman, Simone Biles, and the other young lady stated that when they were called by the FBI, and Ms. Biles, if I remember correctly, stated that she wasn't even told clearly whom she was talking to or what was going to happen next. But collectively, it seemed to be the sentiment they had no idea what was going on. They weren't prepped, not necessarily prepped. They weren't spoken to. They didn't know. It, there was no formal introductions by way of this is what's going to happen next. You're going to go speak with the FBI. They're interested in learning this and understanding this. It was more so just come and sit down. I think they said that it was, in some cases, it was a phone call. In another case, it was they were met in, a, in a, one of the hotel rooms with another agent. And collectively, there was a minimizing of what happened to them when they talked about the abuse. Ms. Reisman was especially detailed 
in talking about her interaction with the FBI and being left with the feeling that what you're saying, you know, did this really happen? Maybe this didn't happen to you. And it left the women feeling as if they were powerless and if nothing was going to happen. And in fact, we know nothing happened because after these young women talked about the rape and the sexual assault by Larry Nasser, nothing was done. In fact, Larry Nasser was then able to go on and assault other high schoolers, college, and other elite athletes, over 70, because there was a failure to report within this institution. Ms. Reisman said that she was scared. There were people in positions of power. She was told that she shouldn't speak with her other teammates about this. There was discussions about the very powerful USA Gymnastics official, Steve Penny. The athletes were told that Steve Penny would take care of it and then went on to understand that Mr. Penny was in discussions with one of the FBI agents about a promise for that agent to come and work for one of the Olympic committees. There was clearly a conflict. Much discussion has been had about Mr. Penny. And if you put his name into any search engine, I'm sure that you'll get different stories. And that's not the focus of this episode, but it's to show, I bring up his name to show that at the top levels of USA Gymnastics, there was knowledge of the abuse and there was a failure to act. And I would say that this failure to act ties back and it goes directly to show that the foundation of our institutions the ones that we rely on to protect us, there is a built-in fissure. There's a crack that has moved apart and never was together. I shouldn't say moved apart. It was built not on a solid foundation of thinking, who are these institutions going to protect? Let's make these institutions, let's staff them with individuals that understand the population that they're going to serve. Quite to the contrary, These institutions, from a historical perspective, only understand and were made to only understand one type and to serve one type of person. And that's the problem. That's why we can't get the answers that we need. That's why we can't get the action that these athletes and that others are demanding, because there's a failure in diversity. There's a failure in even the very establishment from the beginning. There are historical issues that have to be addressed. If these athletes, if any of us want answers. Ms. Reisman was also, we got so much wealth of information from these hearings on the part of the athletes. Survivors, I'm sure, were comforted by understanding what they went through and to hear that they were not alone, that these athletes suffered so much For example, Ms. Reisman said that sometimes it's even impossible for her to say the words, to talk about what happened. It says that, she said, and I'm summarizing, that these events, what happened to her, caused her such exhaustion. She has to sit down in the shower. Her 87-year-old grandfather has more energy than she does. Ms. Biles talked about how the abuse has impacted her. And at her level, her platform and her stature, That if it could happen to her, if it could happen to Michaela Maroney or Maggie Nichols, and no one takes action in our historical institutions such as the FBI, what hope 
do then the average Jane Doe, John Doe have out there when they complain of sexual abuse? What do they have to go on if no one will act because of them? Miss Reisman says that she feels terrible. I'm underestimating when I say she feels terrible. But in particular, she talked about how this man, Nasser, had her picture and the photos of other Olympians in his office. And Ms. Reisman found out that younger athletes, younger girls, her fans, her admirers had themselves sought out and gone and were treated by Mr. Nasser because they believed, hey, if this guy if this medical professional is good enough for the very best for Ali Reisman, then they also are going to seek him out and be treated by him. And that she felt the burden that she was, I would say she was used and manipulated in another way that he has her photo there, her and other athletes to validate himself, to give himself extra credentials and using it as a sadistic lollipop, so to speak to lure more children into his office so that he can abuse them. And that's exactly what happened. Ms. Reisman said this, and I echo it, and I say it to you, my listeners. She said, I only need needed one adult to do the right thing. That's what we do, the listeners on this show. We do the right thing. And it starts by having these discussions and understanding What is the right thing that we should do? So after thinking about this, these are some of the right things that we can do. Because what Allie was asking, what Miss Biles was asking, Miss Maroney and Miss Nicholas were asking, how do we get accountability? How do we get this to stop? Who is going to do something? Even the senators, I believe it was Senator Leahy, Asked that same thing. And Senator Leahy, by the way, so before I became an attorney, I worked for on Capitol Hill. And I remember being in the presence and working with Senator Leahy. I didn't work directly with him, but having gone to different functions. So I remember him being there and being in rooms with him. And it was, you know, so, and I've been practicing law for over 20 years. So that just, a small aside there, tells you how long some of the members of Congress have been there. And if Senator Leahy is asking, well, what do we do? How do we get accountability? And that's what he asked, Senator Leahy, asked Ellie Reisman. He also said something interesting, which again is another way of stating this question. What do we do? How do we stop this? He said, when will justice be done? And Holding someone accountable in the, under these circumstances, what will it look like? Ms. Reisman responded to that. Several of the witnesses responded, and they stated that the different agencies, whether it was the FBI, this was some of the answers by the witnesses, the FBI, the Olympic and Paralympic Committee, that they have to have a new way of thinking and evaluating these types of situations allegations of abuse, that there has to be a new United States gymnastics where survivors have room, where they don't have to feel as if they're adversaries to the USA gymnastics. Ms. Reisman says that the way that justice will be done was for their voices to be heard, that all they're asking for is to not be adverse to whether it's USA gymnastics or the different schools. 
She also went on to say that justice will be done when they're not gaslighted, when we matter by the organizations and survivors don't have to distrust how they feel. I thought that was very, very important because it connected back to earlier testimony where the young ladies were stating that when they spoke to these FBI agents, they were minimized. Their reports weren't taken seriously. One of the FBI agents said to them, is that all? After they shoot, the witness spoke about the abuse and how that felt horrible to her after spending so long and talking so deeply about these horrific things that had happened to her, to have the FBI agent say, is that all? Or in the case of Miss Biles to say, you know, are you sure that this has happened? To be minimized. And so Miss Reisman, in response to Senator Leahy, said that justice would be done when survivors don't have to distrust how they feel and they don't have to be put in an adversarial position to the agencies, USA Gymnastics and others that are supposed to be investigating. The whole point of this hearing is that it came about because the inspector general had set out to do a report to look at why the FBI did not report these allegations sooner. There began to started to surface information that as early as 2015, if not before, the abuse by Nasser was known, but no one said anything. So that's why an investigation was launched to understand what, in fact, the FBI knew about. And these hearings were a result of that investigation. So that's why they were actually, we were actually here and we were watching that on September 15. Going back to the question of what can be done, how can we get someone to account for this? Ms. Reisman also said that there is a need and justice will be done that when there's an education, and I'm paraphrasing again, there's education at all levels in all parties that are entering into the industry of sport. It has to be parents, athletes. It has to be coaches. Ms. Biles stated that she believed justice would be done and we could find some accountability when we see prosecutions happen within the organizations that failed and allowed for the abuse to continue. And it was very clear These young ladies said that they blame Larry Nassar. He is the sole perpetrator in this. So they're not shifting blame, but they're saying that after he did that. Now, I would go one step further, just so everyone knows, and and stating that, you know, my speculation is that even before Larry Nassar was able to get his filthy hands and minds on these girls, he could have been stopped. And I don't know if it's at the practitioner level, whatever licensing board. Going back, each witness, they were clear that Larry Nasser was the wrong, the wrongdoer in this case, but that they couldn't understand why the systems that put themselves out there on their websites, be it the FBI, be it USA Gymnastics, be it the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, they clearly state that their purpose is to protect And specifically, USA Gymnastics, U.S. Center for Safe Sport, they go one step further. They let parents rely on them 
If you are an elite athlete, if you're an athlete at a different level, competitive level, come to us. We'll not only train your child, you'll become a member of our organization. We'll ensure your safety. We'll ensure that when you're in our care and custody in our membership gyms, the main purpose, and you'll be allowed to practice and advance in this sport, and you'll be able to do it safety, free from physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. So they put themselves out to be like that, and they failed. And the question goes back to why? Why are they failing? I reiterate, they are failing because at the very rudimentary foundation, basic level, baked into these institutions are historical mindsets that don't understand. They have an indifference, an ambivalence, and a lack of diversity that doesn't allow them to seriously evaluate, assist, protect, and understand the abuse of women, the abuse of children. And that's why. And it's not until we rebuild and address that basic fundamental issue will justice ever be done. And in fact, I say if we continue, so at the end of the hearings, I listened to it, you saw the the pain from the survivors, but then you also saw the finger wagging on the part of the senators. You saw the I'm sorry. They also gave lots of accolades and praise to the survivors for being so brave, for being such accomplished athletes. But if they leave that hearing, they being the lawmakers with the power, the position, and the opportunity, if they leave that hearing, put their notes on the side and turn and go back to doing, you know, a plethora of hundreds of other important things or just as important things, nothing will happen. And so here's what I think that we can do, listeners. I think that we can make change. And I think that it can be done using this formula. We're going to have to get women, allies, and supporters of women to answer the question that these athletes, survivors, and even some of the well-meaning senators asked. When will justice be done? How do we change this? How do we make it better? Women are going to have to take up the mantle and lead the charge. As simple as that. We have to be more than disgusted, be more than upset, be more than frustrated at the systemic failure on the part of the FBI, on the part of USA Gymnastics, lawmakers, and congressional agencies. I shouldn't call it an agency. Congressionally created organization, the U.S. Center for Safe Sport. I know of parents out there, and I'm thinking of them now, who are warriors in the fight to correct some of the failures of USAG and the Center for Safe Sport, who are day and night demanding that these organizations be accountable to them and to children. So that's the good news. There are parents, there are people out there that are already doing this. Let's join them. Let's keep it up. And here's what you can do. So say you have a parent, a child that's in the recreational program in your town, in your city. Maybe they're in the travel program. They could even be traveling to national tournaments because they're excelling and they're moving up in their sport. So today, parents, ensure that your child at any age and any stage in sport, that they are aligned mentally and physically with what they're doing. When you notice cracks in their not only their physical well-being, but cracks in their mental well-being, in their brain health, don't dismiss it. Talk about it. 
That's one way that we can protect our children early on at this grassroots level, this foundation level that I was speaking about. When your athlete voices misgivings or fears, frustrations about their sports journey, and especially if it's consistent, yes, your child, your athlete will be frustrated about a game or nervous about a big competition. But when it's a consistent pattern, and that pattern has to do with not only the sport, but maybe a particular authority figure, maybe a particular organization that they're dealing with, and it's consistent. And you know, you know because you know your child, do not dismiss it. Don't dismiss that instinctual feeling because when we get those feelings of frustration, we're out of alignment. When they happen over and over again, your child is out of alignment. And the more that we dismiss it as the adults in the room, the leaders of our home, or the leaders in our organizations, the more we dismiss it, we're telling them, we're messaging to them, you don't matter, your voice doesn't matter. We're messaging to them that destructive mantra, toughen up snowflake, suck it up, keep going. And then they're going to stop talking to us. And then that's when they become vulnerable to abuse. And then we're going to return to another congressional hearing or another courtroom. So start that today. Ensure that your athlete is aligned with their mental and their physical well-being at any age and at any stage in their sports journey. Secondly, parents and coaches, trainers, medical professionals, when we hear our athletes, when we hear our kids voice or try to tell us that they're not aligned with themselves and what's right for them, we have to remain, and I'm going to say it, non-reactive. That is a struggle. That is an everyday practice and discipline to remain non-reactive. Many times our children are going to say things that we don't want to hear. Many times even the coach may say things you don't want to hear as a parent, may tell you the truth about your athlete's skill or level or what they see. So maybe as a parent, we have to just be non-reactive. Take it in, process what your athlete is saying to them. I want to give up the sport. I'm tired of it. I want to pursue something else. After thousands of dollars of investment, You can't hear it. You don't want to hear it. But for now, remain non-reactive and process that because you don't want to have the end goal of that individual, that child going silent because they know that there's no room for them to voice it without backlash, without retaliation. Third, our governing bodies, when we ask, what can we do? How can we stop this reoccurring cycle of injustice and abuse? How can we stop? within the area of sports, our governing bodies, they have to decide. They have to answer this question. Are you going to be event planners or are you going to be an organization that trains, protects, and promotes the welfare of children above every other goal and objective? It's that simple. Within your organizations, start every meeting with that. What is our purpose? Because you know what I think parents and athletes who are survivors of abuse and any parent going in, they would much rather an understanding that the sporting association, the officials, if they said clearly in all of their materials, marketing and their goals, we are solely here to provide a space for children to play and to plan events and coordinate. If your child has an issue involving verbal, physical, sexual abuse, don't come to us. Go outside, go to your local police force, go to your prosecutors, 
contact an attorney, contact the attorney general's office for your state. That is not our role and not our purpose. You know, I know that there's different laws that would be triggered because you are dealing with so many children. And, you know, that's something that I could, that we can look into. But what I'm saying is at present, currently, these organizations tell parents both proactively and also in their materials and marketing that they will protect the well-being of your child, that they will respond to abuse. But that's not happening. It's not happening. Historically, it's not happening. There are stories that are dating back from when these organizations started 100 years ago, the NCAA over 100 years ago, reports of abuse that we're learning about. So from its inception, these agencies, whether it's an Olympic agency, whether it's the NCAA, whether it's the different athletic leagues, they are failing systemically as a system to protect children. So a decision has to be made and an acknowledgement has to be given clearly to the parents that we are not the agency. It is not our purpose, our goal, or our, our intention. We can't. We don't have the resources, the willpower, or nor do we want maybe the moral obligation to protect your child should someone abuse them. And instead, here clearly on a sheet of paper is the number 911, dial it. Here's the non-emergency number. Here's the number to the local prosecutor's office. Don't report these instances to us. We are strictly here to rent out gym time and to <laughs> create the schedule of tournaments. That would be a clear message to parents so that they're not reporting and then sitting and waiting for different officials within the sporting association to respond to their child's allegations. Or they're led to believe, as so many of these athletes, these gymnasts stated, that they reported to different coaches about Mr. Nasser. They reported to Steve Penny. That's what's been alleged. And no action was taken. It's alleged that Mr. Penny said, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. And nothing happened. And that's the outrage. There's the saying that it's not only the abuse that traumatizes a survivor. What's equally, if not more traumatizing, is the reaction of those that you tell and those that are supposed to support you. That's the essence of what I took from what these witnesses stated, that it was, yes, it was the horror of what Nasser did to them, but it is the continued re-traumatizing. It's the continued disbelief that the FBI, law enforcement, the very coaches and the very officials that they pledged and that they dedicated their careers to USA Gymnastics and the different coaches that they showed up for every day that looked away and then didn't do anything after they told about their abuse. That's what's most troubling to them. That's part of the reason why they're still suffering. And that is my third recommendation, that sport organizations, USA Gymnastics, USA Swimming, USA Wrestling, there's so many other national governing bodies. Now is the time to start to revamp your thinking and be clear with parents. Let them know if there's a complaint, go with all speed and quickness to your local law enforcement. We don't have the manpower or the resources to protect, nor do we have the will so that there's no confusion. My final recommendation so that we don't see this happen again and so that we can rebuild and have real justice and institutions that understand and can really protect children, women, and others 
is that like never before, we have to flood our institutions. And when I say institutions, I also include with this, just as a footnote, institutions such as courts and the criminal justice systems. We have to flood them with qualified individuals and diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives like never before. We talk about it. We hear about it. I often think that sitting in some meetings and on some boards that I'm on, that I myself could be suffering from DE&I fatigue. We hear it so much, but what does it mean? At its essence, it means this. It means individuals who are qualified, who are committed, who have the life experience, the viewpoint, and the vantage point to truly empathize and to know because they've lived situations. They've worked and seen through the lens of the people that they serve. I also include in these institutions that we need to flood with truly qualified, diverse candidates, our universities, our colleges, also our, the national governing boards of these sporting institutions. We have to flood those institutions with true, real diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. As an example, when these witnesses, these young ladies were speaking about the reaction by their male FBI investigators, the response is, is that it? Are you sure? Did this really happen? I wonder, would Simone Biles, Allie Reisman, and the others, would they have gotten those if they were speaking to someone who understood what it means to be a survivor? If they understood, if they were speaking to someone who was vetted against a diversity, equity, and inclusion matrix? Would they have gotten those responses? Would they have been traumatized by the reaction of individuals who were indifferent or ambivalent? So those are my four recommendations of how we can finally, once and for all, answer this question, how do we get justice? How do we hold people accountable? And how do we stop the abuse of children? It is such a pleasure to always speak with you. And until the next time, I want you to be well. I'm going to bring an episode where we're talking about exactly that, diversity, equity, inclusion, some of the fatigue that we see around it, whether it's really working, is it performative, or are we in our culture, in our institutions, coming together to really use this mindset of diversity, of inclusion, to create better spaces and better places for everyone to work and live. Again, thank you for listening, and it's a pleasure. Don't forget to reach out to me directly with your comments. I love hearing from you, and I love reading what you have to say. Until next time, take care. All information and content in this podcast is provided for entertainment purposes only. Nothing in this podcast shall constitute legal advice and shall not create an attorney-client relationship. This information is general and may not be applicable to your particular circumstances. You should review your particular circumstances with an attorney. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast is hereby expressly disclaimed.